right, ladies. A big crowd, a big crowd last night online. Recording yeah, pretty progress. decent. You pretty decent. Always has a big crowd. Well, it's always it's it's always the 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 heart is big, the crowd is big, everything, the love is big. It's always good. Okay, all right. So let's jump in. Today is November seventeenth. This is Daily Power Parsha, and we are going to pick up our conversation, the dramatic story of the encounter, the re-encounter between Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers, literally twin brothers who could not be more different than each other, and we read about that powerful. Um, meeting, face-to-face encounter that finally takes place right here in today's fourth reading. Today the goal is to do four and five, so there's a lot to cover, so let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen with you, and um, and let's do it. Let me just quickly double-check that I got this going. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, here we go. Okay, Vayishlach is a Torah portion. Reading number four, Genesis chapter 33. All right, so Jacob has prepared for this encounter a few different ways. He has prayed to God. He divided his camp so that, you know, safety, if if Esau and his 400 armed men attack one camp, the other camp could escape. And then he sent gifts. Sent lots of gifts, waves and waves of gifts. And... um, he sent waves of gifts, and these, uh, these gifts impressed Esau. So here we go. Text number six. Uh, verse number six. And the maidservants and their children drew near and prostrated themselves. So remember, as Jacob is approaching, so he puts the family in a certain order, and he goes to the front of the line, and he bows down to his brother. And then the maidservants and the children, they also bowed down. They prostrated themselves. They, ba- they bowed down to um, Esau, and Leah and her children drew near and prostrated themselves, and after them, Joseph and Rachel drew near and prostrated themselves. It's interesting that the mothers went before the children except for Joseph. Okay, I'm going to point out something here. It says maidservants and children, so that means the mothers went and then the kids, and then Leah and her children, Leah the mom and her children behind her. When it comes to Rachel, it says Joseph and Rachel, the order is reversed. I hope you're noticing this. That indicates, as the commentaries point out, that Joseph, although all of the moms had their kids behind them, protecting their kids, Joseph ran ahead of his mother. He said to his mom, I'm protecting you. So that's just an aside that the commentaries point out. And he said, this is Esau now. Esau, Jacob's brother, said, what is this, sorry, what is to you the purpose of all this camp that I've met? In other words, why is, why all the gifts? What's, what's going on? And Jacob answers truthfully. And he said, Jacob said, to find favor in my master's eyes. In other words, I want you to be happy with me. I want to I wanna make sure you're happy. That's it, straight up. He calls him my master, right? Sign of uh, language of reverence. But Esau said, I have plenty. I have plenty. Yeshli Rav. I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have remain yours. Keep what's yours. I don't need it. In Hebrew, Yeshli Rav. Achi Lachashalach. Yeshli Rav. I have enough. I have plenty. I have more than enough. Keep your stuff. Keep your animals. Thereupon Jacob said, Please know, 
If indeed I have found favor in your eyes, then you shall take my gift from my hand. Please accept my gift. Because I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of an angel. You know what that means? That's an illusion. That's a hint to the struggle, to the battle, to the wrestling match that he had the night before with an angel. Whose angel? Esau's angel. I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of an angel, and you have accepted me. In other words, there's, there could have been a struggle. There was a struggle last night on a spiritual level. There could have been a physical rumble. There's not a physical rumble. You've accepted me. I want to give you a gift. In the Hebrew, it's mincha, mincha si, mincha ti. Give, accept my gift. So he says, Jacob continues, now take my gift. Take my gift, which has been brought to you. For God has favored me with it, and because I have everything. Whereas God has given me a lot. God has given me everything that I need. Take my gift. Jacob prevailed upon him, and he took it. Eventually, Esau took the gift. So it's like one of these back and forths. Here's a gift. No, I don't need the gift. Take the gift. I don't need the gift. Take it. Okay, and then eventually the guy takes it. So Esau here, Esau, takes the gift. I need to zoom in, though, on a few, a few details that I think are very important. Number one, the difference between the language of Esau and Jacob. Esau says, Yeshli Rav, I have a lot. And Jacob says, Yeshli Kol, I have everything. What's the difference between a lot and everything? Well, a lot is not necessarily everything. Everything is more than a lot. It also shows the idea of gratitude. Jacob feels that whatever he has is everything. He has everything that he needs. Esau, that's Jacob. Esau, his brother, says, Yeshi Rav, I have a lot, which kind of indicates the sense that maybe he wants even more, even though he's saying he doesn't want more, but he's saying, I have a lot, but you could have a lot more than a lot. Why not? not, But when you say I have everything, everything means everything. Everything is, uh, there's no more. Anyway, so that's just a little bit of a nuanced difference between Esau Esau and Jacob, Yaakov. Um, Another point that I want to point out is that consistently through the narrative, the gift that Jacob is giving to Esau is referred to as a mincha. I mentioned this yesterday. A mincha. Mincha means an offering or a gift. We pray, the afternoon prayer is called mincha because it's also our gift to God. In the middle of the day, it's our sacrifice that we give. We give God those 15 minutes to have a mincha. It's very difficult. We give it to God. It's a gift. Okay. Mincha. But if you look at the final verse that talks about Jacob prevailing over Esau, he uses a different word. Kachna et birchati. What is a bracha? Birchasi. What is a bracha? How would you translate bracha? Blessing. A blessing. A blessing. Right? How is it translated here? Gift. I want to point out that you cannot always learn Torah from the English because you miss a lot of layers of meaning. Gift, right? Gift. Do you think it's the same word? Nope. Here it's minchasi and here it's birchasi. Here it's gift. Here it's blessing. Kach na es birchasi, says Jacob to Esau, take my blessing. What blessing, according to some commentaries? He was, in essence, giving back the blessing that he had taken from Esau. And I know this is not the standard interpretation, but there's a powerful interpretation here. 
that says that all this time, for 34 years, Jacob had enjoyed the blessing, had, had been the recipient of Esau's blessing of the dew of the, the heavens and the fat of the earth. And he got the blessing that was for his brother. He got this, you know, physical, primarily a physical blessing. And we've had many classes about this and why it's important that Jacob have the physical blessing from a chassidic, from a mystical perspective. But from a basic perspective, there are those that say that it was this verse, verse 11, where Jacob says, essentially, I've done very well. I've been very successful. But honestly, it's not me. It's yours. Take it. It's your blessing. It's your blessing. The materialism, the material blessings, that is going to be the Esau's blessing. The Jacob may not always be the most prosperous, that Jacob may not always be the wealthiest, that Jacob may not always be the most materialistically inclined, but Jacob will be spiritually connected, and that is the legacy of Jacob. Here, he says, I don't want to be saddled with materialism, the yoke of materialism. Take it back. Take your blessing. Take my blessing, not just my gift, but my blessing. I hope that makes sense. Now, again, do, is that the only interpretation? Of course not. Is there a whole understanding, a whole genre of understanding that says that Jacob specifically had to get the material blessing because Esau was dropping the ball as far as what the purpose was with materialism? Yes. Have I said that to you before? Yes. Is this still an interpretation? Yes. Again, 70 facets for the Torah. Olia, welcome. It's good to have you. Okay. So I want to check in with you guys. Does this make sense? Did I confuse everybody? I hope not. Both Jacob and Esau have to give like teshuva for each other, right? I mean, look, it depends how you understand Jacob's uh, actions. If you understand it, that he had purchased a birthright and that he was the one that, that actually deserved that first blessing, then he, doesn't have to, then he doesn't have to repent for that. But if you look at it a bit of a different way, that he was the spiritualist and this was the, these were material blessings, and at the end of the day, it was causing more, ch more challenge than benefit, and Jacob says at some point, you know what, take it back. That's what this angle is saying. So he's being the big one of his own spirit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But again, this is not the only game in town. This is not the only interpretation. This is one interpretation that I think is interesting because it explains the textual, the, uh, the, the word change. Minchasi and Birchasi are two different words. Minchasi, my, my gift. Birchasi, my blessing. Take, take my blessing. Mincha is used throughout. Mincha is the, is the gift. So throughout it's used mincha, one verse that changes to brachasi, my, my blessing. So hence the, uh, the commentary. Okay, now let's continue. So what's clear, by the way, not by the way, what's clear he said at the core is that Esau is cool at this point, at least in this moment, in this fragment of time, Esau is okay with Jacob and he's not going to kill him. Okay, that's, that's a great first step. But now Esau takes it even further. Oh, sorry. And, and on Jacob's side, Jacob is, you know, kind of pushing this gift. He really wants to give his brother a gift or a blessing. Thereupon he said, next step is Esau says to Jacob, travel and we will go and I will go alongside you. Now that we've made up and we're best buds, we're BFFs, right? Now that we're friends... Let's, let's travel together. Let's live together. Let's, uh, you know, let's travel and let's go. Well, I'll go next to you. I'll go alongside you. Let's live together in harmony. Jacob knew that this was not a good idea on multiple levels. 
Esau one day is going to wake up and his resentments will come back, his anger will come back, and he doesn't want to be sitting right next to him. He knows that at the end of the day, Esau lives a different lifestyle than Jacob. They're incompatible and it's just not going to be a good fit to hang out together. It's just not, not a good spiritual or personality fit. It's just not a good thing. So Jacob tells him as much. Jacob said to his brother, My master knows, you Esau know, that the children are tender, my kids are young, the flocks and the cattle which are raising their young depend upon me. And if, they, and if they overdrive them one day, all the flocks will die. I got young kids. I have all these animals. I can't move too fast. I can't move so fast. You want to travel together? I'm going to be slowing you down. He says to his brother now, he says to Esau, now let my master go ahead before his servant. You go ahead and I will move at my own slow pace according to the pace of the work that is before me and according to the pace of the children. Until one day, I come to my master to Seir. Seir was a mountain range area. Har Seir, Mount Seir. Seir was around the mountain. That is where Esau's family and descendants settled. Jacob says he declines the offer. Esau said, let's travel together. We'll live next to each other. It'll be a big party. And if I bring in 24-7, and Jacob says... No, thank you. He politely declines and he spins a bit of a tail. He says, he doesn't say, that's a terrible idea. What are you thinking? We're going to end up fighting with each other. He doesn't say that. He says, I got young kids. The flock are young. They're taking care of their kids. I got to watch everybody. Anyway, I'm going to go slow. You go ahead and I'll catch up with you. Commentaries say, when will Jacob in his lifetime never met Esau again? Never went and settled in Seir. Never happened. So what did he did he lie? No. He's referring to in the Messianic era. When Mashiach comes, then the Esau's of the world will be refined spiritually and pragmatically. It says when, when Mashiach comes, the Messianic era. God says, I will eradicate, I will eliminate the spirit of impurity from upon the face of the earth. Which means that people will be pure-hearted and basically a mensch and spiritual and all that good stuff. Right? Good people, spiritual people. That's the way it's going to look. At that time, there will be the reunion once again of Jacob and Esau or at least their descendants and what they represent. Because Esau will be ready to be united with the force of Jacob. Until then, not so ready. And on a practical level, what it means is, there are some things, some vices, right, that we can't engage in, that we shouldn't, you know, rub shoulders with. It's just not going to be healthy for us. Everyone knows what their temptations are or what their challenges are, what pushes their buttons on whatever level of negativity that is. And so the question is, do you tempt fate, so to speak, and settle in cozy and right next door to that thing, to that challenge, to that person, whatever it is? Or do you say, you know what? One day I'll get there. One day I'll get there. One day I'll be strong enough. One day you'll be ready 
Esau wasn't ready to be refined. Jacob didn't feel like he was strong enough to flip Esau as he was. It's going to take time. And honestly, the way it's explained in Kabbalah and Chassidus, this is what we've been doing these last 3,500 years. This is exactly, 36, this is exactly what we've been doing. We've been bringing light into the world, bringing more holiness, um, strengthening the powers of Jacob, so to speak, and hopefully refining, weakening the hostility of the Esau's. That's, 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 what, that's what the work that, we, that we're doing is all about. It's about bringing light into the world and mitigating or neutralizing the negative force. Every mitzvah that we do brings positive energy. Every negative mitzvah that we avoid takes out some of the energy from the, from the place of negativity. If you look closely at verse 14, Jacob says, I'm going to move at my own slow pace, right? Rome was not built in a day, nor was Rome conquered. Edom, Esau, was, con- was not conquered in a day either. Listen to this, according to the pace of the work that is before me. You see that? That work. What is the work? The work is the work of refinement. It's going to be a slow process, and according to the pace of the children, my, my descendants will also be involved in this. And it's going to be a slow go, but one day I will meet you at Sayer. And that's a reference. There's actually a, a verse that talks about the Messianic era. It says, and um, the, the ones who were saved, the ones who were saved will go up. And it was like the diaspora collected, you know, Jews will go up to Mount Zion to judge. Um, to judge the mountain of Esau. Judge the mountain. That means to engage in that process of, of refinement in the Messianic era. So the point is that there will be a reunion one day, but it's going to be after the groundwork. Hopefully not too long, right? Today. We believe today. Mashiach. Good. So... But that's, that's a, this is a bit of a longer journey. Thereupon, here we go. Thereupon, Esau said back to Jacob, okay, so we're not going to travel together, but I'm still inspired to help you out. Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. In other words, I have 400 armed soldiers, bodyguards. Let me leave a few by you that can help you out. You know, a few strong men, a few good men. Why not? Can't hurt. But he said... Jacob replied, no, Jacob didn't want any, just wasn't going to be healthy. Jacob says, no, no, thank you. Why do that? May I find favor in my master's eyes. In other words, no, thank you, but I still, I don't, no hard feelings. May I find favor in my master's eyes. No hard, no hard feelings, but no, thank you. No need to, no need to leave your guys with me. So what happened? Esau returned on that day on his way to Seir. Esau went quickly with his guys. And Jacob, for his part, Jacob traveled to Sukkot. Sukkot was a place. And he built himself a house. And for his cattle, he made booths. Booths, i.e. Sukkot. Therefore, he named the place Sukkot. In other words, he called it, he traveled to Sukkot. Why was it called Sukkot? Because he built himself a house and made booths for his cattle. It's interesting that the name of the place becomes named after the booth that he made for the cattle. It seems like that, was, that might have been a bit of a novelty in the world then to build booths for your cattle. Do cattle have booths today? Does anybody know? 
Do cattle live? Does a cow have a booth? Like a stall? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But isn't that only for horses or that's also for cattle? Yeah, people have stalls for their cattle too. Stall for cattle. Okay, perfect, perfect. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Don't quote me on this. Who was the first one to build a booth for cattle? It might have been might have been Jacob. Maybe that's why they named the, they named the city Sukkot because it was such an anomaly. Again, that's conjecture. That's I didn't see that in the commentary. I'm just thinking, uh, maybe that's what it is. That's why it was such, you know they call otherwise if it was a normal thing, like they didn't call the the city houses because he built a house. Right. They called it Sukkot for the boost that he made for the cattle. That might have been an unusual thing. Anyway, um, by the way, we see that Jacob is compassionate to his animals because he didn't want to, well, at least he said he didn't want to drive them too fast. Right. He, um, the flocks and cattle raising their young, they depend upon me. So clearly he's, you know, he's you know, caring for the animals. He builds them booths. Seems very nice. Otherwise they have to sleep outside, you know. Hang out all day in the sun, in the cold, in the rain. Ay, geval. Doesn't sound good. All right, let's continue. Let's continue. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. So he went to Sukkot, and then he came to the city of Shechem, known today by some as Nablus. Shechem, holy Jewish city, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padan Aram, Padan Aram is Haran, and he encamped before the city. And he bought the part of the field where he had pitched his tent from the sons of Hamar. Once again, purchase. It's interesting, all the cities that we have biblical, clear biblical sources, clear biblical verses that talk about Jewish purchase, those are all the most hotly contested cities today in Israel. It's ironic, maybe it's not ironic, I don't know, but Jerusalem was purchased by David, um, Hebron was, was purchased by Abraham, Shechem was purchased by Jacob, and I'm telling you, these are the most contested cities. Yeah, Jerusalem, Hebron, Shechem. Anyway, who was buried in Shechem, by the way? Yosef, ultimately, Joseph. Obviously, much later, Joseph is buried in the city of Shechem. Okay, now he bought that part of the field from the sons of Hamar. This is going to be very um, relevant in a moment. And how much did he pay, the father said, for a hundred kesitas. He paid a lot of money for that field where he settled. There, the Torah tells us, Jacob erected an altar and he named it Kel Elokei Yisrael. God is the God of Israel. His own name, right? The God of Israel, Yisrael. This is probably the first time we have that, the God of Israel, right here. Referring to himself, he dedicated it to God, his God, and, uh, and he built this altar. Okay, that takes us to the end of reading number four. A lot of action in this reading. The reconciliation. The, um, the, gifts, the gift exchange. The gift exchange, right? He gives, Esau gives peace. He gives reconciliation. And Jacob gives actual gifts. Okay, we read about the slow pace and the ultimate reunion, the ultimate merging of forces of the Jacob and the Esau in the Messianic era, but it takes a lot of work to fuse together the energy of Tohu, that chaotic energy of Esau, together with the Tikkun, the repair, the, the, um, the settled energy of, of Yaakov, of Jacob. It takes Mashiach, it takes all that era to put that together. Okay, Rabbi, yes. So, 
ordinarily, well, you said it wasn't Tachuva, but there's no conversation here, right, of either either of the brothers acknowledging what happened and so-called apologize. Yeah, we don't see apologies. It's not like uh, Isa says, you know, hey, Jacob, you really need to apologize. And Jacob says, I'm so sorry for taking your blessing. And then Isa says, I'm sorry for wanting to kill you all these years and coming out 400. Yeah, we don't find that. You're right. They kind of talk about other things like, oh, hey, how's the family? Oh, who are all these people? Oh, hey, gifts for me? Oh, I don't need it. That's kind of how sometimes it happens a lot of times in reality because it's too painful to talk about the past. And what are you going to say about it? As long as there's a mutual willingness Whatever, however it, however it becomes to try and put the water under the bridge. And- I could not agree with you more. I 100% agree. Yes. This is a pretty real conversation. Right. Pretty real conversation. But, and, and, and there's even an overture from Isa saying, let's, you know, let's, let's put the past behind and let's live together. And Jacob senses that that's probably not a good idea long term. So he pushes him off and... You know, ultimately there will be a reunion, but not, not, not in that context. Okay. All right. So now he's living in Shechem. So this is going to be a very critical piece of the story because of what happens next with Dina. Now this is a very dramatic, okay, more than dramatic. It's a very troubling, I, I meant to say disturbing. It's a very disturbing story, especially when you read the commentaries on this. Um, it, gets, uh, it, gets, it gets pretty, pretty disturbing. Okay, Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob. So Torah is just reminding us of who Dina was, right? Dina was, Leah had six sons, and then she got pregnant and gave birth to a seventh child. That child was a girl, not a boy, and he, she named her Dina. So Dina, daughter of Leah, born to Jacob, right, went out to look, uh, to look out among the daughters of the land. Dina goes out into the land. And Shechem. Remember the city was named Shechem? Hamar, who was the father, named his city after his son. They were living in the outskirts of Shechem. Shechem, the namesake of the city, named so by his father Hamar. Right, so Shechem, the son of Hamar, the, the Hivite. The Hivite. Chivi. Okay. Right, Hamar and Chivi, Chivite, Chivite, the prince of the land, right, saw her, Dina, and he took her, this is by force, lay with her and violated her. This refers to two different forms of assault. He, he physically assaulted her, he lay with her and violated her, and this is the act of he abducted her and then assaulted her. This is what happened. Very, very disturbing, horrific story. The story continues, and his soul cleaved to Dina, the daughter of Jacob. Now he falls in love with her. He fell in love with her, he loved the girl, and he spoke to the girl's heart. He's trying to convince her he's not such a bad guy, etc. I mean, listen, we can imagine a thousand different scenarios about how exactly this went down, how exactly it went down, how exactly he's trying to, to, to get to her and to speak to her. And just use our imagination about how this, how the story plays out. Either way, it's disturbing. And Shem spoke to his father Hamar, saying, "I want to marry her. Take this girl for me as a wife." Jacob had heard that he had defiled his daughter Dina. Okay, 
Now Jacob, so Shechem, Shechem assaults her. But then he falls in love with her. And now he's speaking with her. And he wants to marry her. And he says to his father, I want to marry her. Okay. Jacob hears about this. Jacob gets wind of what's going on here. Jacob heard that he had, that Shechem had defiled his daughter Dina. Okay? But his sons, 11 sons, his sons were with his livestock in the field. And Jacob kept silent until they came home. He did not send out an emergency message and call everybody in and say, this assault happened. We got to We got to take care of it. No, he waited till they came home. Okay. He's taking a measured approach. And Hamar, the father of Shem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. So the two dads, right? The dad of the guy is now going to Jacob, dad of the girl, Dina, to speak with him. And Jacob's sons had come from the field when they heard, and the men were grieved, and they burned fiercely. They were, they were saddened as to what happened, and they were, they were burning mad. Because he, Shechem, right, had committed a scandalous act in Israel. Now, in Israel doesn't mean like in the land. I mean, it wasn't called yet the land of Israel, but it means with the children of Israel. A scandalous act in Israel to lie with the daughter of Jacob and such ought not to be done. This was unspeakable what he had done to their sister. Okay, now, so again, just to get the timeline here. So this thing happens, Shechem and Dina, and now Shechem wants to marry her and he tells his dad and his dad goes to Jacob in the meantime Jacob is not telling his sons, but his sons find out and they come home and now everyone's home and now Hamar speaks. And Hamar spoke with them saying, my son Shechem, yeah, his soul has a liking for your daughter. Please give her to him for a wife. Yeah, my son wants to marry your daughter. And intermarry with us. Let's, uh, let's blend. You shall give us your daughters. And you shall take our daughters for yourselves. We'll marry into your families, your, fa- your family, your family should, will marry into our families. One big happy family. We'll intermarry, we'll integrate. And you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Remain, do business there, and settle there. And I must tell you, and I must tell you, this has been the spoken or unspoken deal that many have thought or have sought to make to eliminate anti-Semitism. Speaking of anti-Semitism, because we're, uh, this is a topic that we're engaged in in the JLI course. We just concluded the Tuesday night. We have the Thursday afternoon coming up tomorrow. So, you know, this is the deal. The deal is instead of remaining outsiders, instead of being outside this, outskirts of the city, segregated into our own, you know, unique little, uh, you know, collective, no, integrate, intermarry, we'll marry into your family, your family marries into our families, and that's it, that's it, the land will be before you, you'll dwell with us, we'll do business there, you'll settle there, you'll be just like one of us, you'll be just like one of us. This is again, either the overt or or subvert promise of the of the millennia. This is like the promise of Jewish safety and security just 
you know, just dilute your identity, no big deal, and, and, and you'll be accepted. Just drop your particularism and you'll be accepted as one of us. Okay, it's a temp tempting offer. And Shechem said to her father, and to, now Shechem pipes up. Yeah, his dad was doing the speaking, and now the guy himself throws, uh, throws a line in. Shechem said to her father and to her brothers, May I find favor in your eyes? Whatever you tell me, I will give. I'm ready to pay up to marry her. Impose upon me a large marriage settlement and gifts. And I will give as much as you ask of me. But give me the girl for a wife. I'll do whatever it takes, whatever you want, whatever gifts or money, cash, check, credit card, whatever you take as payment, I'll give you. Just give her to me as a wife. Okay, verse 13. Thereupon Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamar with cunning. Yeah. They answered Shem. Now listen to this. Who answers? Not Jacob. The sons. Eleven sons. They hatch a plan. And this is what they say. They answer with cunning. Bimirma. Cunning. That word mirma is when um, is the same language that Isaac used when he spoke to Esau. And he said, your brother took your blessing. He said, your brother took your blessing. Bimirma. With cunning. Right? Jacob took your blessing, Esau. Sorry, bros. I mean, sorry, son. Your brother took your blessing, Bimirma, with cunning. There Rashi translates cunning, Mirma, as not cunning, but with, um, with a clever approach. We might also say here is also clever. Clever, you know, cunning sounds, um, it, it, ha it definitely evokes deceit, right? Deceit, uh, a very duplicitous response. Maybe an unsavory response, like not so, not so kosher. But you could also understand it as more of a, you know, like a clever response. Either way, this is what they said. And they spoke because after all, he had defiled. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Why did they speak? Why did the brothers speak? Because after all, he, Shrem, had defiled their sister Dina. So they were, gonna, they were definitely going to stand up and speak up right here. And they said to him the following. We cannot do this thing. Impossible to give our sister to a man who has a foreskin. For that is a disgrace to us. So they, the, the, the go-to approach here is, they mention the bris. Oh, you don't have a bris, you don't have a circumcision. Then you're disqualified. You can't marry our sister if you're not circumcised. I mean, that's the mark of our family. I mean, that's like literally the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, his children, we, his children... You can't, you, got, you can't be without a circumcision. However, they say, but with this, however, 15, we will consent to you. In other words, here's how we can make this work. If you will be like us, that every male will be circumcised. Here's the proposal. If you want to agree that all your menfolk should become circumcised, then we have something to talk about. Then, verse 16, we will give you our daughters, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. You want to be blended. You want us to integrate. You want us to assimilate. You want us to intermarry. No problem. You just need to circumcise. You need to have a bris. But 
if you do not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. No deal. Wow. Okay. That didn't scare off uh, Shechem and his father. Their words pleased Chamar and Shechem, the son of Chamar uh, and Shechem, the son of Chamar. They, the Chamar father and Shechem son, they were super pleased. Great. We have we have a path forward, and the young man Shechem did not delay to do the thing because he desired Jacob's daughter. In other words, he sprung into action. And he was the most honored in all his father's household. His father had other kids, but he was the most, he was the, um, you know, the, um, the wonder child, or the wonder child, whatever. He was like the, the golden boy in his family. And so when he wanted to marry this girl, he was able to, he had the currency to convince everybody that everyone's got to get circumcised. And Hamar and his son Shechem, came to the gate of their city and they spoke to the people of their city saying, now they got to convince everybody else to get circumcised. These men, the Jews, the children of Israel, right? Yaakov and his family. These men are peaceful with us. They mean no harm. And they will dwell in the land and do business there. And the land, behold, it is spacious enough for them. By the way, the Jew thinks that if they sell out, they're going to get integrated and to the world, to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the other, it's still a them. You're still an other. You're still an outsider. You know, maybe, eh, whatever. And just pointing that out. We will take their daughters for ourselves as wives, and we will give them our daughters. Again, that same line, third time that that's repeated about the daughters. Okay. However, they said to the people of the land, only with this condition will the men consent to dwell with us to become one people. And that is, what's the condition? By every male among us being circumcised, just as they are circumcised. In other words, they want circumcision. It's either circumcision or no dice, no deal, no integration. Then, listen to this. Oh, it gets even more devious. Chamar and Shechem are now saying, what's the incentive? What's the incentive for circumcision, right? What do we get? Intermarriage. Give me more. Then, he asked rhetorically, shall not their cattle, their property, and all their beasts be ours? You see that? You see what he's saying? We're going to end up getting all their stuff. But let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. Yeah, I hope you're seeing what I'm seeing. Shall not their cattle, their property, and all their beasts be ours? That sounds a little devious. Sounds like a setup. We'll get circumcised. They'll integrate. Eventually, we'll get rid of them and we'll have all their stuff. But if they remain separate, we're never going to get their stuff. You with me on this? Yeah? Okay. Never trust that promise. Yeah? If you're ever told, all you need to do is just sell out your identity and then you can have everything, don't trust the messenger. You know what it's like? It's like the story of Rabbi Akiva and the fish and the fox. You know this one? Anyway, Rabbi Akiva um, lived at a time when Torah study, Torah teaching, teaching Torah was prohibited, punishable by death by the Romans. And he taught Torah publicly. So in clear defi- eventually he was murdered by the Romans. But anyway, this is before that. So um, somebody came to him once and said, Rabbi, you're, you're, you're crazy. I mean, you're a you're, 
you're openly defying the Romans, you're going to get caught and executed. Just don't do Torah, don't study Torah, and, and sorry, don't teach Torah, and you'll, you'll survive. Rabbi Kiva said the following. He said, let me give you a parable. He said, there was once a fish that was swimming very speedily in the, in, in the water. And the fox said, hey, fish. And the fish comes out a little bit. The fox says to the fish, hey, I see you're, you're, you're swimming super fast. You're probably avoiding the fishermen. Yeah? So instead of having to swim away from them, jump out of the water, and I'll, I'll, protect, I'll, I'll protect you. You come with me. You live with me. I'll, I'll protect you against the fishermen. You'll be safe with me. The fish says, fox, chacham. Right? You wise fox. Right? Sarcastically. So, in the water, at least I have a chance to survive. Maybe the fishermen will catch me. Maybe they won't, but at least I have a chance. If I jump out of the water, for sure I'm dead. Rabbi Kiva said, if I teach Torah, maybe I'll get caught. Maybe I won't get caught by the Romans. But if I stop teaching Torah, we're all gone. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me, this reminds me of this story. Yeah, it reminds me of this story. It's like, yeah, we're promised integration, acceptance, normalized relations, right? Normalized relationship. Sure, that sounds great. Sounds great. All you need to do is jump out of the water. No big deal. Just just to- jump out of the water, change who you are, right? Resign your identity. No big deal. And then you'll be safe. Then for sure we're not safe, right? That's for sure not. All right. Anyway, moving, moving back in. But you see here the agenda, the real agenda behind it, at least what they're telling their people is, yeah, we're going to get all their stuff. Okay. 24. And all those coming out of the gate of a city listen to Hamarnas and Shechem. They listen. Yeah. And listening means not just hearing, but listening. They followed through. And every male, all who went out of the gate of a city, became circumcised. They had this mass circumcision going on. Now it came to pass on the third day, that's the day of the greatest pain after a procedure. It came to pass on day number three when they were in pain, and that's the biggest pain, that Jacob's two sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, Shimon and Levi, they were both 13, by the way. They were both 13. They were born within the same year, you know, like within 12 months. Shimon and Levi were both 13. How do I know this? The commentaries get into great detail about the timeline. They were both 13. This is, by the way, how we know about Bar Mitzvah. So Jacob's two sons, Shimon and Levi, Dina's brothers, each took his sword. But in the Hebrew, it's ish charbo. Each man, ish means man, each man, there's a word missing here in the English. Each man took his sword. From that extra word man, we learn that when you're 13, you become a man. That's the age of Jewish majority. That's the day you become obligated in mitzvot. We learn it from this verse right here, verse 25. Okay, so they took, third day of the circumcision of the people of the city of Shechem, they took their sword and eat, and they came upon the city with confidence and they slew every male. They slaughtered everybody. And Hamar and his son Shechem, they slew with the edge of the sword and they took Dina out of Shechem's house and left. She had been held. She was being abducted. She was in his house. They rescued Dina from Shechem's house. And they left. Why is it? I've had needed upstairs and need the 
password for the base. Sorry. For what? The Hold password on. Password for the base. The iPad for upstairs. Which yeah, yeah. I saw you have in your hand already. I have. Here. Oh, okay. And need the password for the base. What base? I don't know. That's all they have. Guys, one second. We're getting some technical help on, on something that we need help in. Um, can I text you the, the password? I, I don't know. Yes. The, oh, the base? Oh, that base? Yeah. It's one, two, three, four. But that's not the big deal. The big deal is this piece with the app thing. With the upgrade. The Crestron app is not working on this. Got it. Okay. Okay. I'll text that to you in case the time's out. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Hey, guys. We're back. Okay. So little technical uh, um, assistance that we need for our upstairs AV system. Okay, here we go. Um, now this, this may sound like extremely excessive, like, oh my gosh, they're brutally butchering everybody in the city because Shem had kidnapped, had abducted, had assaulted. Dina, isn't that a bit excessive? Isn't that collective punishment, etc.? Listen, all, yeah, I hear the question. I hear the question. The commentaries deal with it. The commentaries um, discuss how essentially um, everybody in the city, all the men at least, they were all accessories to the crime because no one did anything, no one said anything, no one helped, no one, no, no one called it out. Everybody knew what was going on. Everybody was part of the conspiracy. And thus, um, everybody was deserving of a collective punishment. There are other commentaries on this. I don't know if we can ever fully, if, 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 if we can fully be on board with this with a very strong reaction, nonetheless, the brothers felt that this was warranted and this is what happened. Let's continue. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and plundered the city that had defiled their sister. Their flocks and their cattle and their donkeys and whatever was in the city, whatever was in the field, they took. And all the wealth and all their infants and their wives, they captured and plundered and all that was in the house. Again, I understand. As a guy who has never been in a war, this sounds kind of excessive. I get it. I'm hearing, I'm, I'm hearing you through the, through the screens. Nonetheless, when I say excessive, I mean, it sounds brutal. It sounds, it sounds harsh. This is, this is how they felt uh, they needed to proceed. Thereupon, okay, so that was, that's the end of the story. Their sis, bottom line is their sister is rescued. Their sister is saved. They made a statement. Thereupon, listen to this. Jacob, the father said to Shimon and Levi, his two sons, you have troubled me to discredit me among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and among the Prezites, and I am few in number, and they will gather against me and attack me, and I and my household will be destroyed. Jacob says, guys, sons, not guys, sons, Shimon and Levi, yeah, you're troubling me. In other words, your, 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 pain, your actions have, are bothering me. Because you're discrediting me. It's more than discredit. You have... You're making us into a pariah, if that's the right word, amongst the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites, the Prezites. We are few, and I am few in number. We have a small family. And now there's going to be reprisals. They're going to gather against me and attack me. I and my house will be destroyed. You put, our, you put all of our lives in danger by doing this brutal act of wiping out the city, essentially. And Shimon and Levi said to their father back, shall he make our sister like a harlot? Yeah, it's, it's not okay what they did. This was, the only this was the only justified response. And that's the end of that dialogue. Years later, when Jacob passes away, 
he didn't forget. He never forgot what Shimon and Levi did. And he, um, he mentioned, he, he, he refers to the fact that they, that they engaged in, uh, in, in a bit of a, a, a brutal, um, a bit of a brutal um, response to, um, to, this, to this situation. He was not, Jacob, it seems, was a bit more of a, of, a, of a diplomat, of a diplomatic response. Shimon and Levi, they were a little bit more hot-headed and uh, they took matters into their own hands, literally. Okay, let's continue with Genesis chapter 35. And God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and abide there. Leave Shechem, go to Bethel and, and, and dwell there and make there an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So he says, go back to the place. Go back to the place where you originally left Israel from. When you made that promise in the dream with the ladder and the angels, yeah, remember that? When you promised that if you came back to the land, you'll erect an altar and thanksgiving to Hashem, now is the time to do it. Thereupon Jacob said to his household and to all those who were with him, he said, remove the deities of the four nations which are in your midst. Remove the idols. What idols? Where did they get idols from? When they plundered the city of Shechem, they got stuff, and amongst the stuff were idols. He said, purge the idolatrous symbols, purify yourselves and change your clothes, and we will arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar to the God. Bethel is basically like the Temple Mount. And I will make an altar to the God who answered me on the day of my distress, and was with me, and the same God that was with me on the way that I went. God has been with me. We're going to go bring an offering. No, no, get rid of the idols. Let's go um, make an altar for God. And they gave Jacob all the deities of the nations that were in their possession and the earrings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth that was near Shechem. Under the terebinth. Do we know what a terebinth is? Sounds like a terabyte, but not at all. Let's see. Terebinth. Terebinth. Oh, it's a plant. Oh, there you go. Huh. Interesting. It's a tree. It's a um it's a plant tree. I don't know. It shows a picture of a tree here. My phone. Yeah, you see that? It's a, it's a tree. So they hid them under a tree that was near Shechem. Basically buried it under the tree. Then they traveled and the fear of God was upon the cities that were around them. Look at that. Jacob's fears were unfounded. Turns out that the people were afraid of them. Having heard the, the, the legend of Shimon and Levi wiping out a city, so the fear of God was upon the cities that were around them so, they did, so that they did not pursue Jacob's sons. So that didn't happen. Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people who were with him. He built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel. For there God had been revealed to him when he fled from before his brother Esau. Right? That's the place that God revealed himself to him before he fled. Right? That's the Temple Mount place. And Deborah, okay, moving on with the narrative. There's a, I mean, there's a big, big story today. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. I don't think we've ever heard about Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. Until now. Yeah. Is that correct? I don't think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now we know. Rebecca. Oh, I'm so sorry. We did have a mention that Rebecca, when she got married, 
or when her, she left her family, this is now not Rachel, this is Rebecca, Jacob's mom. This is Isaac's wife. Rebecca, right? When Rebecca got married to Isaac, when Eliezer came to, remember back in the day, Eliezer came to find a wife for Isaac. He found Rebecca. The family sent Rebecca with her nurse. Who's her nurse? Deborah. Right. Deborah, and we even looked it up. It said that back in the day, they used the nurse, not necessarily because they were young, but because they had an assistant, whatever it was. So Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And she was buried beneath Bethel, beneath the plain. So he named it Alon Bachut, which means the plain of tears. They cried her loss. They mourned her passing. She was the beloved nurse. On her own right, a very respected member of the family. Deborah passed away at that point. Devorah passes away. And she's buried right there on that holy space. And God appeared again to Jacob. Here we go. When he came from Padan Aram and he blessed him. God said to him, name change. Your name is Jacob. Right? Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel shall be, shall be your name. So, and he named him Israel. So God, like the angel, remember the angel said, oh, let me give you a new name. God here also acknowledges and, and, reaffir- and affirms the new name, the name Israel, as opposed to Jacob. But like I mentioned a few days ago, even after the name change, he's also called Jacob. Look at, look at the verse, your name is Jacob. And then it says, shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. But the Torah still says your name is Jacob. That means that even after he becomes Israel, he's also Jacob. Dual personas, the struggler and the conqueror. And we are both sometimes at the same time. And God said to him, verse 11, God says to Jacob, Israel, I am the almighty God. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a multitude of nations shall come into existence from you. And kings shall come forth from your loins. He gives them this beautiful blessing of prosperity, of, of um, children and grandchildren and, and, and prosperity and, and the sovereignty, etc. Now, I want to mention one important thing. Okay? And then we're going to close it out. And that is when they came to Shechem. Hold on, let me find this verse. One second, one second. Previous reading. Previous reading. I want to end off with two lessons. So in verse 18, it says, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. And then the Dina drama unfolds. Okay, But in the Hebrew, it doesn't say safely necessarily. It says shalem. Shalom is peace. Shalem means, typically means whole. Like W-H-O-L-E, like complete. Jacob came complete to Shechem. What does it mean that he came complete or whole? The commentaries say because he had reconciled with his brother. As long as there was friction in his life, in his family, in his, in his realm, no, no matter what else he did, the spiritual stuff, the spiritual success, the physical success, the... Something is incomplete in his own life because there is an outstanding conflict. When he makes up with his brother, in other words, when he reconciles with his brother and they have peace, now he is whole. So that's a very important thing that I want to mention, the idea of working on reconciling the tensions in our life and the, you know, maybe old old wounds and whatever it is and healing that 
in order to, to in order to be at peace finally with ourselves, with God, etc. Okay, so that's that. So that's a, a, a word of of inspiration. Now, hopefully, now the next piece that I want that I want to end off with is when it comes to the brothers Shimon and Levi, who I mentioned before, became um, were bar mitzvah, were the age of thirteen. So what's the message? What's the significance in that 13, the age of bar mitzvah, the age of majority, is learned, is derived from this, from, where is it? Um, yeah, ish charbo, ish. What's the significance of the fact that we derive bar mitzvah status from the story of, of Shimon and Levi? So the message is a powerful one. And that is that what does it mean to be an adult? What does it mean to be a mature adult in the Jewish understanding? It means not only noticing the problem, but stepping up to fix it. It's one thing to notice, oh, that's a problem. That's wrong. That should be tweaked. It's easy to point out flaws. What's harder is, yeah, to step up and correct it. Now, I'm not suggesting that every bar mitzvah boy be given a sword and an address. Hey, there's some justice that needs to be done. You know, live up, uh, you know, um, Wear the shoes, walk in the shoes of, of your ancestors, Shimon and Levi. I am not suggesting that in any way, shape, or form. What I am suggesting, though, is on a much more practical level, is that at the time of the age of bar mitzvah, the age of you know, maturity, the definition of that maturity is not just seeing problems, but stepping up to fix the problems. Stepping up to take action where action is needed, and that is a critical step in the maturation process. Taking responsibility, taking ownership, taking the lead, taking initiative, and getting it done. All right, my friends, that takes us to the end of today's reading. We read the dramatic story of Dina, her abduction, her rescue by her brothers. We also read about the, the, the well, before that, we read about the conclusion of the reconciliation, the coming together between Yaakov and Esau, and so my blessing is twofold. The last two points that I mentioned. May we have true peace within and without. And may we always stand up for what's right. Thank you for joining me today for Daily Power Parsha. Questions or comments? Or we're good. Thank you, Rabbi. Can I, can I join classes late, do you think? Would that be okay? Say it again, say it again. Well-connected series? Can you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Would, I be all right, would it be all right if I joined like the Well Connected series late? Sure. Do you mean late, um, like from a, a later session, or do you mean late from a later time? Uh, like having missed the first. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for okay, sure. Cool. Yeah. Cool. We'll get you the recording, we'll get you the text, for sure. Yeah, not a problem. Rabbi, can you send a link to Faye? Yeah, for sure. Which link? For for this class, Daily Power Parsha? Yes, for this class. Absolutely. Faye, do I have your email? Ray, do you want to send me her email? Yeah, I will. Perfect. Send me the email and I'll send her an email. Thank you so much. Thank you for the class. Great to Thank see you, Ray and Faye and Donna and Sarah and Olia. Have a wonderful day tonight. Ooh, tonight, Torah Studies. Don't miss this. The class is... What did I call it? Oh, How to Be a Warrior, or Living Like a Warrior, or Be a Warrior, something like that. It's about being a warrior. Don't miss this. You definitely want to check it out. Um, tonight at 7.30. Okay. 
Here we go. Summon up all your resources and win the war. Lessons from Frederick the Great on how to be the best version of yourself. Frederick the Great. If you want to learn about Frederick the Great, tonight's your night. And we'll have a Torah in there also. All right. We'll see you soon, hopefully. Take care. Wonderful day. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you.